people have to be when they come home from school. Good morning. It's good to be back, Dan. The students sound amazing. Thank you for all those teachers. Thank you just for being for our sports this year. Steel Drum Band under the direction of Andrew Crum has visited OSSB. It is so much fun for our staff and students to experience this type of music and learn what these instruments sound, feel, and look like. We will hear from Mr. Crum and a sampling of their concert. While Mr. Crum is speaking to us, you will hear OSSB and Granville students working together on the steel drums. Speaking of Cincinnati, the Ohio State School for the Blind participated in the in the second Ohio braille challenge which took place in cincinnati ohio during this podcast mr kelly will be walking you through and telling you a little bit about that on march 7th ossb held a prep rally where we celebrated the achievements of the varsity goalball players wrestlers and cheerleaders we also got to meet the little mcs wrestlers and goalball players and swimmers and cheerleaders owen mccafferty is our guest alumni this month graduate of OSSB in 1981, he will talk about his artwork and the importance of networking and perseverance. Next to the tea party, the DLS room decided to throw one, and Mr. Kelly will be walking you and telling you a little bit about that as well. Mrs. Miller will discuss Leo Club activities, specifically the walkathon, which will be taking place on May 4th. Don't forget to buy your hot dog. May the 4th be with you. Ever been to a knee replacement party? Stay tuned to wish Mrs. Finley a speedy and healthy recovery. Our country of the month is India. Mr. Kelly's fifth period class researched some of India's culture. They will be telling us about that. OSSB staff and students had a fundraiser in honor of Aiden Carter. The fundraiser supported the Marching Panthers. Staff and students did a national walkout to honor the 17 lives lost in Florida. Ohio State School for the Blind was one of those schools, and I'm going to be taking you through that. We will also learn about smart paint and how it is being used to increase information when traveling for people who are blind or visually impaired. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you haven't listened to this podcast with headphones, highly recommend it. We've experimented with a lot of uh, the mic's functions, you know, different channels. I think... It'll be a great experience if you use headphones. And a lot of homemade, authentic music made fresh by Mr. Kelly. Yeah. And, and Zach. Yep, yeah, Zach can also help with the music. All right, let's get this show on the road. It's good to be back, Dan. This is how many years in a row you, you brought your band from Granville? It's our third year here in Granville, or from Granville, I should say. Uh, we really enjoy coming here playing for you all, and uh, I'm actually really excited that we got some of our uh, new rock charts learned before we got here. So we're really excited about all that. Now, this isn't your first experience with OSSB, is it? Nope, I worked here, uh, this, uh, what was that, five years ago I worked here. 2011-12, right? That's right, yeah. yes sir. Well, it's good to have you back. Now, just, just for real quick, Give us an idea of what makes up a steel drum ensemble. Uh, steel band is actually a lot like an orchestra. It's got about four different parts, sometimes five, depending on um, you know, several factors, whether you have the kids to do it or whatnot. But uh, yeah, we got about uh, 35 different bands, and this ensemble is made up of what you might consider 14 violins, um, 12 violas, and then uh, cello guitars and basses, all those different sizes, and they're all 55-gallon oil drums. Pretty, pretty sweet. Pretty big stuff. Pretty sweet. So, well, I really appreciate you guys coming out. Absolutely. It's sounding great. Well, we appreciate being here. Thanks for having us. 
It was so great to have Mr. Crom and the Steel Drum Band from Granville High School come and play at OSSB. The students sound amazing, they brought a lot of energy, made the concert a lot of fun, and the best part was watching their students um, teach our students how to play the steel drums and actually getting a chance to play together and socialize. It's just an amazing day. I cannot thank Granville and Andrew Crompton. Next, I'd like to talk about the Braille Challenge. What is the Braille Challenge exactly? I'm not talking about the challenges of Braille or getting materials into a Braille format. The Braille Challenge is the only nationwide Braille academic competition for students who use Braille. They are held regionally across the country, and the top 10 finishers from across the country get an opportunity to travel to Los Angeles, California to compete to be the best. There are different levels where a student can enter. There's the Explorer Group, which are the real young guys and girls. The next level up is the apprentice level, followed by freshman, sophomore, junior varsity, and the varsity level. Winners receive cash prizes, gift cards, a goodie bag with lots of fun stuff inside, and in one of the categories, the winner can get a book transcription of their choice for absolutely free. There are plenty of incentives to get excited about using Braille. The four categories of competition are proofreading, where students have to find Braille and spelling errors, speed and accuracy, where competitors transcribe from spoken word to Braille, reading comprehension, and charts and graphs, where students have to find the correct information by using charts and graphs. Students at OSSB practice on their own, and they met as a group six or seven times after school with Mrs. Finley and myself, Mr. Kelly, to get ready for the Braille Challenge. Across Panther Nation, we got excited about our nine participants going to compete. We held a pep rally in the gym on March 1st, where the best blind panther band in the land got us going by playing some great music. Mrs. Finley and myself told some corny jokes, and our Panther cheerleaders performed some stand cheers, which really got the crowd into it. Okay, let's hear it for those marching Panthers. Woo! We're here to talk about the Outstanding pep rally, Panther Nation. That really got us all energized for our travel down to Cincinnati the next day, on March the 2nd, for the second annual Ohio Braille Challenge. And to tell you a little bit about our trip, the Clovernook Center for the Blind in Cincinnati, Ohio, hosted its second annual Braille Challenge. They treated us like celebrities. 
when we were there. We had 31 participants from across the state this year. The opening ceremony was pretty grand. We heard Bill Hall perform on the bagpipes. The Army Reserves posted the colors. We heard a proclamation from the mayor of Cincinnati declaring March 2nd as Braille Challenge Day. The president of Clovernook spoke a few words of welcome, as did the Braille Challenge Committee Chair, and all of the participants were introduced. We had two rounds of competition before lunch and two rounds in the afternoon. While the tests were being scored, the students went to a workshop to learn about 3D printing. The teachers also had a productive day networking with programs from around the state and discussing Braille literacy and advocacy. After the competition, there was a parade of champions where the competitors marched in the room and were reintroduced. Results for each level were announced and awards were plenty. Congratulations to all of our participants. Elliot, Caden, and Philippe placed first in their respective divisions, and Autumn placed second in hers. All of our students did an outstanding job this year. You represented OSSB, your family, and your friends very well in the second annual Morale Challenge. On March 7th, OSSB held a pep rally where we right. celebrated the achievements of our varsity goalball players, cheerleaders, wrestlers, and swimmers. During this pep rally, we got to meet our little NCs for goalball, wrestling, and cheerleading. This year, we have a new award for our varsity wrestlers. It is known as the Pharrell Parker Award. Pharrell Parker was a student here who passed away last year. The award is for perseverance and never giving up. This award was presented to our very own Evan Alioto. Good job, Evan. We had so much fun meeting our little NCs and having them do cheers for us. Go Panthers! My name is Dee, and this is my first year at the Ohio State School for the Blind. I would like for everybody to have a wonderful spring break. My name is Michaela, and I want everybody have a, to have a wonderful spring break. How can blind people do art? I've always liked art. to have Owen McCafferty here with us today on the OSSB podcast. As a blind person, I've always thought that art was something that was sort of inaccessible to me, although I enjoyed it a lot. And so I got to thinking about Owen, and I thought, man, he'd be a great guest to have with us uh, to talk to us about art and probably change my perspective on the accessibility of art for people who are blind or visually impaired. So welcome, Owen McCafferty. Uh, and everybody. All right, so Andre, why don't you get us going? All right, so when did you first start getting interested in art? Uh, I think it really dates back to when I was a teenager before OSSB. I was in uh, resource classes in elementary school in Cleveland. I remember my elementary school teacher beats a screen. She'd always find me by the chalkboard with my nose to the board with chalk and trying to draw like animals and music, band, people marching, and that kind of got her attention. So she knew someone from the Cleveland Sight Center and hooked me up where I started doing uh, 
Christmas greeting cards, you know, simple Christmas greeting cards. I did that like when it was between 12 and 14, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I went to OSSB 75. And when I was at OSSB, my art teacher was then Diane Davis. I really liked her. I really liked her art class. And I think next to English, well, art was my favorite class, that and English. At OSSB, I was like, oh, I, I would say I was the kid who's trying to fit in any way possible and I was kind of the the school artist I guess you know trying to <laughs> pick up my artwork. Now how did you go about making that dream come true? Perseverance. Uh, I would say not giving up on yourself trying to just be confident in yourself and what you want and what you what your God-given talents are and just you know following through with learning as much as you can about art and drawing and painting and you know, discover where you're good at, you know, just following up, just learning as much as you can and have a determination to follow through on your, on your goals, even in art. And it's like that for anything in life, really. So how exactly do you art and having a visual impairment? Well, what I do, well, is I think of a subject or object. I mean, I, I paint a lot of um, landscapes, abstracts. Uh, any subject that I'm really interested in painting. Now, I used to, when I was younger, I used to paint with watercolors and and crayons and colored pencils. Then I got into acrylics. Now, currently, I'm experimenting with textural paintings, meaning I'll use like hodgepodge glue, plaster strips. I'll try to form shapes on a canvas, you know, figures and... Oh, and guess, guess what? We're going to, now that you bring that up, I happen yeah. to have an example of your work that I okay. bought at um, NFB auction this fall. Is but, it the one from the, from the uh, state convention, Dan? Yes. Uh, I think it's called, called uh, uh, I'm trying to think now to myself, um, waterfalls or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's like ocean waves or yeah. waterfalls, yeah. and it's paint, and it's textured with what yeah. feels like tin foil. And so it gives it that, visually, I think it would give that sparkle uh, mm -hmm. of the sun hitting the water. So we're going right. to take that and pass that around and feel, feel it. And I, I mean, I, I, I experiment with a lot of uh, pipe cleaners, tissues. Um, uh, right now I'm, I'm working something called plaster strips, which is like little strips of plaster that you could mold and shape on canvas. I mean, as an artist, you want to grow and experiment with different types of media. If you don't mind me asking, um, yes. what drove you to experiment with these particular materials? I've learned from other artists. I mean, a really good example would be John Bramblett. He is a very famous blind artist uh, from Denton, Texas, and he had epilepsy, and I guess he lost his sight from that, uh, from a massive seizure. And um, he still paints. He's very well known, and he does tactile paint, like different types of paints with various textures and feels. And I mean, that's kind of inspired me to want to kind of experiment too you know i mean yeah artists like so that, that textural know. paint that you're talking about are you making that textural or are you purchasing it that way? well uh, i make it well i what it is is hot, it's called hodgepodge glue mm -hmm. i use that what it is it's glue and i'll glue like at first i've used like okay like dana said like tin foil or uh pipe cleaners or tissues i'll use the glue glue it over the the tissues, and then when it dries, I'll paint it. Now, lately, I've used something called uh, plaster strips, which is like strips of plaster, and I'll put them on canvas. I'll make various shapes, like a lighthouse and a sailboat. Right now, I'm working on, mm -hmm. and I'll and when it dries, I'll just paint it. It'll get that feel. Um, NFB Ohio, uh, the Cleveland chapter. I'm going to shout this out. Thank you very much, Suzanne Turner. Her and Cleveland chapter. They wanted me to do some artwork for the Ohio Convention artwork, and I, I had a lot of texture painting. I've been doing it for a few years now, and they loved it because they could touch the art, touch the, the various textures. So, a lot of this you talk about. Um, have you had any formal training? Did you like pursue a, a secondary uh, oh, education okay, well, after high school? Or uh, after I graduated in nineteen eighty one, okay, there was a time where. I really didn't do much of anything. I mean, seriously, I was in the my early late teens, twenties, and I had a very overprotective family, so I didn't really do a lot. 
but it was until 1991 that I wanted to start taking art again, taking it serious. And I, it was 1991, I started taking classes at Cuyahoga Community College. I went after an associate's degree in graphic communications. Now, back in the 90s, the big thing, of course, was computer graphics and, and the Apple computer. So I took a lot of uh, Adobe Photoshop classes and uh, other computer graphic classes like Corel. And along that, I, I took regular art classes like uh, like painting, uh, sculpturing. I even took life drawing, if you believe that. I uh, learned how to draw people. And the only problem was, at that time, my BSV, well, then it was called BSVI. They were concerned about was getting into graphic. I got an associate's degree of graphic arts, but they were like, are you really going to get a job with that? Because it is a very competitive and broad field. It is. You got to be really good to be a graphic artist. Okay. okay? It's very competitive. But... You know, they were concerned about, well, you need to, you know, realistically a job. So they got me hooked up with doing, like, customer service work and retail work. Where currently, uh, my, I guess you could call it my real job, is of a part-time stock, morning stock worker at uh, J.C. Penney, a great northern mall. So I do early morning stock, which I like, you know, it's, it's kind of like my day job, you know. Right. Uh, so I want to tell you. Um, but it wasn't like... I would say the early 2000s, I mean, I kind of took a break from art, and it was when my parents died, I thought about going back to art, and I remember meeting this woman at my church, Joanne DiPaolo, and, you know, she was a local artist, painter, and she was like a friend and mentor. She was like, well, Owen, you know, if you like to paint, come to take classes with me. You know, and she showed me how to paint. She has an art gallery in North Olmsted, and I started kind of learning from her, actually, how to paint again. And, of course, I was inspired by other blind and visually impaired artists like John Bramblett and another guy, Jeffrey Owen Anson, I think. So you mentioned how you were inspired. Have you done any collaborative work? Collaborative meaning working under somebody. Uh, Joanne DiPaolo, she has her own art gallery. And I have done some art shows with her where I would show my artwork to various people you know people that would come in during art exhibits i have done that now i would love to work with john brand i'm serious he's got this book out you want to look for it it's called um, shouting in the dark great book i would recommend it if you're blind visually impaired i would highly recommend this book i've sold some artwork i mean i'm not like i haven't made tons and tons of money okay but I've had people where they bought my artwork or, or I donated. Like, there was a lady from NFB, Ohio, who I met through the convention. She just recently bought one of my texture paintings, you know. A couple years ago, I've had, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy named Kevin Barrett. He's manager of the Cleveland Scrappers. Yeah, he he's a pitcher. He used to be the pitcher for the, those guys. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've done some paintings for the Cleveland Scrappers. Painted old, past, blind beat baseball players. I've done that. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff for nonprofits. I mean, look, Cleveland, okay, I want to share, well, this is how I found out about VSA, Ohio. There was this guy named Greg McGrath, an old friend of mine who used to work at the site center. He's no longer there, but he used to work for them, and he know, knew about my artwork. Well, I had painted this one painting of a of a blind guitarist, okay, and he's sitting there with his guide dog, and his guide dog is like howling, and looks like he's howling. I took this from a photo I saw. It looks like he's singing. So I called him a musician's friend, the painting I did. It was all in acrylic, and people loved it. And uh, and uh, Greg had told me to, I should enter it at the BSA Ohio, which I did. It got some awards and also um, ended up donated to Cleveland Sight Center. You need to get that support. I mean, if you're blind or visually impaired, and an artist, you really need that support, people to back you up. Right. I think that's very important. Some good networking skills is what I'm hearing. You are involved with very special arts of Ohio. Uh, yes. NFB of Ohio, uh, Lions Club up there in Cleveland. I think I did something for the American Printing House for the blind I had submitted. My thing is just getting my artwork out there, just to be seen. And, and NFB's got the saying, live the life you want. And that's what I've been doing, live the life I want as an artist. Do you feel like your art has had an impact on not only the, the, the community of people who are visually impaired, but just 
on the community at large. Yeah, setting an impact. I mean, especially through social media. I mean, with Facebook and and um, you know Twitter and Instagram, and also um, you know just putting out work, showing people who who are artists or not artists, seeing that hey, you know this guy who's got limitations. You know, here he is painting some artwork, getting some artwork out there. Maybe I could do it. You know, I mean, you know, he's gone through some a lot of diversity and just showing what a blind or not just blind but a disabled person could do i mean it's very important can i ask you what is your vision impairment and how much okay, do you uh, have <laughs> okay my vision impairment um i was born with a congenital eye disorder i have nystigmatism and i am bad at pronouncing names my left eye i have problems seeing far away but I had to look up really close. My right eye is very blurry. I've got to see colors. My acuity, I would say, is 40 over 200 or something. See, I'm bad with the medical stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I do three large print. I do know grade A Braille. I, I learned grade A Braille when I was in uh, Anthony Wayne Elementary School before I went to OSSB. I use a cane at night or it's busy traveling, you know. I get around. I'm very independent, I would say. I mean, um, I think. Since my mom and dad have passed away, I've been more independent. I mean, I, unfortunately, I, I'm sure this is true for a lot of blind and visually impaired people down in OLSSB. You, you're, you're from a sheltered family who think, oh my God, you're, you know, you can't take care of yourself. And I know that, I know OSSB. I mean, the one thing they taught you is how to be independent and, you know, be on your own. I got my name out by just, you know, putting my artwork out there through social media like Facebook and uh, Fine Arts America and also with Joanne DiPaolo. She had a lot of various art shows and uh, her art gallery had a lot of events that put my artwork. Um, I put the word out. I talked to uh, people at the Cleveland Site Center, uh, uh, worked with nonprofit organizations like the Cleveland Site Center and FBO Ohio mm -hmm. and Cleveland and uh, <coughs> the Printing House for the Blind at VSA Ohio. I actually found out from Greg McGrath, who was working at the Cleveland Site Center at the time, and that's, that's how I got the word out. What advice would you offer to blind or visually impaired students who are interested in going to college, specifically going to college for a, a visual arts degree? Um, I've got one student who was recently accepted to CCAD and another student who will be applying next year um, in her senior year. Do you have any advice on um, how they can navigate the post-secondary college world? Don't give up. Whatever you do, don't give up. Just pursue your degree. Um, you know, just kind of put your artwork out there. Practice a lot. I mean, if you have a particular talent, okay, like when I was at Tri-C, I mean, one program that I was really good at was Adobe Photoshop. Okay, I would just photos and using colorization. That I know, find something that you're really good at. Okay, even if it's doing electronic arts. Now, Pursue that and follow that dream. I mean, practice as much as you can. And, you know, people are going to, like I told you, BSEI, they're a little bit discouraging. But just don't give up. Just keep on going. That's all I'm saying. Get it together. Um, that's another thing. That's very important. Um, if they're doing projects and doing things from school even, keep them projects. Make a portfolio and then show that work to whatever company, like American Greetings, for example. But from personal experience, even American Greetings is hard to get into, I'll be honest, but don't give up. That's my only thing. Excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, and thank you very much for being here today. Oh, okay. Hey, Dan, thank you for wanting to talk to me. I appreciate it. And uh, this will be out when? April 1st? April 1st. All right. If everything hey. goes the way it needs to go, it'll it. be April 1st. Hey, Mr. Kelly does his job properly. Oh, listen to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, hey, he was yeah. the chief editor at hey. the beginning of the interview. <laughs> I know he retired, but tell Mr. Shaw I said hi. Yeah, and when then, I see him, I'll let him know. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, thanks very much. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Dan Kelly. I want to first begin by talking about an event that I missed on the March podcast. I'm talking about a tea party. Why do some people drink tea and others don't or don't drink it as much? In our independent living skills department, Ms. Salvagna and her students thought it'd be a fantastic idea to break out the fine china and serve up some tea during the lunch hour. 
We have a resident expert, Ms. Mandy Reed, on staff. And Ms. Reed is from London, England, and drank quite a bit of tea, and still does, as a matter of fact. As the students sip their tea, she and Ms. Kirk discuss the why and the how of drinking tea with their students. Let's have a little listen in on their discussion. A lot of people have tea when they come home from school. Um, and that's why people think of mm -hmm. like the four o'clock tea time. Oh, um, that's what that is. Okay. That's mainly what that is, but it's just generally when you come home. Like you guys would go home and you'd have a snack and a drink, right? right. It's the same thing in England. You come home, have a cup of tea, and a, it doesn't have to be a scone. It could be something else that's made. Right. Um, and then it, actually in Devon, they have, you know, the meals are called um, breakfast, lunch, and tea. So you have tea time, like before, and then tea is your very Tea up. is common. It's it's a comfort, and you yeah. experience it throughout the day, yeah. and you share and it with loved ones. So what I love about tea is the service aspect. I usually host friends over for tea parties, but I don't participate. I serve the tea. Uh -huh. And so when you're talking about, like, fancy tea, mm -hmm. it's it's not that hard to make it feel fancy without doing no. too much. You just yeah. you avoid the styrofoam, avoid the paper yeah, cup. Right. Just use a nice, real cup with a yeah. saucer. Yeah. And you're going to see in there, like, you can get little paper doilies at the dollar store for really cheap. And then I go to the thrift store and I get those little metal pans and uh, they look really fancy. They yeah. feel really fancy, but I got them for 50 cents. Yeah. Oh. So little things you can do to like make it feel yeah. elevated for your guests because the whole point of offering tea is to comfort people. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, really, what about the, coffee? What if I want to have a coffee They party? do drink coffee yeah. in England, but... Coffee uh, party. Thank you very much, ILS Department, Miss Salvagna, Miss Kirk, and Miss Reed for sharing that with us. I sure learned a lot as I was listening in about how to host a tea party. When I was growing up, we uh, put a bunch of tea bags in the water and put it out in the sun and then poured in a bunch of sugar and threw some ice in there and had us some great sweet tea. So that was a real eye opener or mouth opener as you will for me. Thanks again, guys. Mrs. Heather Miller. Uh, I am the Leo Club advisor for this school year for the first time. And Leo Club is kind of a junior version of the Lions Club, which does a lot of philanthropic um, things for the community and especially for people who um, are blind or visually impaired. So what we do in the Leo Club, our big event is the Walkathon. So every year we partner with Partners in Conservation at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, and our um, fundraiser is the Walkathon. So Partners in Conservation works with schools all through Columbus, Ohio, um, and what they specifically do is raise money and then take that money down to Rwanda, where um, which is a very small country in Africa. It's a Apparently about the, a quarter of the size of Ohio is the entire country. And there's a lot more people that live there. I forget how many million, but it is a lot more people than live in Ohio in a much smaller area. Um, and a lot of, the, it's the only place where the mountain gorillas live. And um, they have done a lot of conservation efforts to help um, increase the population of mountain gorillas when this was first kind of known to be a problem back in the 60s, there were only about 250 mountain gorillas. And that is when Diane Fossey went and was kind of embedded in the um, rainforest for several years, studying them and learning more about them. Um, now, in 2018, there's about 800 um, mountain gorillas. So that is obviously a great increase, but this is the one place in the world that they live. So we need to really work on conservation efforts. Um, to help them, you know, stay a part of our world. Um, so what Partners in Conservation does is works with the people who live in Rwanda and um, kind of helps them in a very direct way to um, grow food, to, you know, have, you know, goats and cows so that they can have, you know, access to protein sources and, so that they don't feel that they need to go into the rainforest and cut down trees and mess with that or, or hunt the gorillas and mess with the habitat. So we, we're, they're kind of working on some 
symbiotic relationships between the people and the animals um, to to benefit both. So they um, they hire local people that go into um, into the forest every day and keep track of the gorillas and what they are doing and how they're living. Uh, they've hired a couple vets who will take care of the sick gorillas and, you know, obviously go up to them, not bring them down to the hospital or something. Uh, they plant trees, which the, the trees or um, stone walls are kind of a border that they put around the outside of the rainforest so that everyone knows where the border is. Um, and then they do a lot of community education projects where They teach the people that, you know, hey, if there's a gorilla in your backyard, it's just checking things out. It's going to go back to the rainforest, so, you know, don't shoot it. And they also support a school down there for the children of Rwanda. Um, They provide textbooks, notebooks, um, maps and charts, and um, specifically there is, and I I don't know how to say it, so I'm not even going to say the name of it, there's a community center down there which provides um, schooling and activities for children who have disabilities, including blindness. And so we specifically, our school has partnered to fund projects that directly go to the blind kids in Rwanda. So we have provided some goal ball um, padding and things um, so that they can play without like, you know, laying on the concrete. Uh, Canes were one of the most recent purchases that we were able to get down there and um, guitars and other musical instruments. So that's a way that our school can directly benefit, you know, kind of kind of our sister school in Rwanda. So that is pretty exciting. Um, and so in Columbus, Ohio, Partners in Conservation allows any school who wants to participate to to do some sort of fundraiser. It's really up to them as to what they do. Um, so when I was at the training a couple weeks ago, one other school, did, you know, did like a parents' night out, so where the teachers provided, you know, child care services, and the parents could go, like, you know, have a fun time. So, um, so really, it's anything. So we always do a walkathon, and this year our walkathon will be held on May fourth. So may the fourth be with you. Uh, Star Wars paraphernalia is highly encouraged. Um, and we will be um, designing t-shirts and um, just raising money and get, getting pledges and um, selling. I think the tolls usually come and sell hot dogs and soda and chips. And we've got some music going on. It's really just a fun, a fun day of being able to be outside and, you know, celebrate our mobility, I guess, but also raise money to help students in another country that maybe are struggling. Miss Finley? Can we interrupt? Sure. Your class. Happy knee replacement to you. 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 The boys got you a cake. And some plates and nice Aww, and cool. yeah. look at that. So, you know, the is for luck. Um, you say, <coughs> oh, chocolate, icing. And this balloon right here that I got, it's um, deflated. So just like your knee, we hope, you know, it deflates very fast. I put braille on it. There's a contracted version. And then there's a non-contracted version. So, you know, because I'm Andre. Oh. Here you go. This is my knee. Yes, that is your knee. Okay, deflated <laughs> balloon. <laughs> we want... <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Not the shit of cake. Oh yeah, I'll show the I'll show the cake. Yes. Thank you for this knee. I have to take a picture of you guys with this cake though. Here we are, this is Andre. Latrell. And we have special guests today. We have a live audience. We have Sarah and Alex. And feel free to ask any questions to our interviewee. Alright, so our special guest today is Miss Labar. Good morning. Thank you for having me. She used to be our old principal. Now she has a new title. Miss Labar, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Andre and Latrell. How are you guys? We're fine. Great. So can I ask you, what is your new job here? 
My new job is the director of auxiliary services mm -hmm. for the School for the Blind mm -hmm. and the School for the Deaf. And what does that entail? Any of our adults who work on related services, OT, PT, O&M, speech, all of those services, if you're an audiologist, if you do the sign language proficiency, those are all adults I get to work with. Um, if you are Miss McCoy or anyone, Miss Picard, who's on the mm -hmm. clinic team, those are adults that I get to work with. Those are services on both campuses, so it's an exciting chance to get to learn what's happening. And then very lastly, if you are one of our youngest Panthers, mm -hmm. then I'm the director of the Early Learning Center. Okay. So may I ask, what has changed since your transition from principal to the job you do now? I have never had to think about things like outreach services and how are we going to look at programming in a more aggressive way to reach out to kids. So that has been something that's exciting for me to think about. I'm looking at the possibility of short-term programming. So can kids come in for a month? Could kids come in on a weekend to learn a specific skill? Those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Um, is interesting to me. I have the opportunity to work with Miss Remus. She serves 150 infants ages 0 to 3 in their homes. Yes, yeah, she technically has more kids in her program than we do students at OSSB. Um, I know it's a lot of little babies, but they're out there learning and getting ready hopefully to come to school here or to be successful where they live. So I've never gotten the chance for early intervention and to work with kids that young. So that has been interesting for me. So um, how long have you been part of the OSSB family? Luttrell, this is year three. And I will tell you one of the hardest things about this transition is missing the time with students because I'm used to seeing you guys all the time. And so now I have to really work to make sure that I get time with kids. So... So, in the beginning, I called you Miss Labar. That, that is my bad. You are Dr. Labar, correct? Yes, that is true, Andre. Where'd you get your doctor's degree? Um, and my, what is it in? My dissertation was completed, and my degree is from Ohio University, mm -hmm. but it is in, it was a perception survey, so it was a principal perception survey on special ed legal knowledge. So, do principals know enough about special ed law, and if they don't, what are some suggestions we can do for them? Seems like stuff I'd be interested in, right? <laughs> Principles, rules, special ed, that kind of stuff. I guess. <laughs> well, could you tell us a little bit about yourself for the new kids like me who just got here? I don't really know you that well, so give me a little summary of who you are. Man, I feel like Alex, uh, Sarah, Andre, I would need some advice. Latrell, I came to OSSB. I was really excited from Columbus City Schools. Mm -hmm. I used to be a sixth grade science teacher. Oh, yeah? Um, and then I was a principal. And this seemed like an awesome fit, so I was very hopeful that they would give me a chance. When I'm not at OSSB, sometimes I'm teaching a trampoline class at SkyZone. Really? Sometimes I'm doing Meals on Wheels. Well, sometimes It is, Alex. I have some really nice um, people on my route. Sometimes I am golfing. Sometimes I'm with my niece and nephew who are very important to me. And I try to run a race every month with some of the girls that I used to be a principal with in Columbus. So that's how we stay connected. Now, you started the after-school program, is that correct? Miss Woods and I, our former superintendent, wrote a grant, and we had some wonderful help from a consulting firm. Um, and between us, we were able to secure a grant for after-school program for the next five years at OSSB. And this year has been our first year to implement. It's been pretty exciting. Yesterday was our dance recital. We have a cooking club. We have CrossFit. We have a coding club for computers. We have a braille club, there's a knitting club, girls on the run. I mean, there's, there are a lot of exciting opportunities. There's an art club, there's a yoga class. There was a previous book club. There was a book club. There have been a lot of things, yeah, and we are hoping to continue to expand um, and keep kids interested. So we've got a new round of programming. We're hoping that a drumming circle is going to be added, and an explorers club through Metro Parks is going to be added for next for the last nine weeks of school <laughs> so awesome. how are you liking your new position um I, for me andre it's mm -hmm. really interesting to look at what are some pieces that we can do to make sure that students have what they need that adults have what they need and look at really a statewide impact so that we are serving kids in their communities and kids who attend school here and staying connected to those individuals so that part i really enjoy mm -hmm. the hard part like i said is um trying to make sure there's still time to see students that you really care about. And I would have never guessed that I'd be 
as interested as I am in trying to make sure that people have what they need. So looking at early intervention, looking at the preschool, making sure those things have a smooth transition um, and that students are able to attend OSSB when they've completed those programs, that we could be a good fit, that students are able to attend OSD when they've completed the preschool over there. So it's just been very interesting to learn. It's a big learning curve. It's very different than being a principal. So you have a lot of authority at the blind school. Is it the same over there at the deaf school? Um, well, the adults have a lot of authority, so I'm part of that adult team. Um, yes, if it, it's the same at both schools in terms of if you're related services or clinic or the early learning center and those pieces, then um, I'm certainly there to help. Technically, yes, those are departments that I'm in charge of, but really it's the adults that make it work. It's not any one set of adults. It's all of the adults that make it be a positive place. So, Ms. Labar, what are some of your hobbies outside of school? Um, I really like paddleboarding. Uh, it's fun. I'm not very good at it. I, I've really enjoyed Meals on Wheels. That's not really a hobby, you know what I mean? But it's mm -hmm. been fun. I do the neighborhood that I used to teach in, so it feels really good to stay connected to that part of Columbus. Um, it's right by the school, mm -hmm. so that is a fun one. I used to be very good at golf. I'm moderate at this time because I do not get as much time as I'd like. I enjoy it, but it's painful to see your skill set fall off <laughs> the way mine has. And I like to spend time with my niece and nephew. They're really important to me. They live in Michigan, so um, it's not like I just zip over. It's usually mm -hmm. at least a day or a day and a night, mm -hmm. but they call me Chi-Chi. <laughs> and so uh, we like to play games and... Sometimes I spoil them, so I will hide presents, and we'll go on an adventure hunt and find the presents. Sounds like fun. So it is. <laughs> they're they're nuts, but I they're a lot of fun for me. So. What Columbus City Schools did you teach at? Because I'm from Columbus. Oh man, Latrell, you're from my heart. Um, Indianola. Oh yeah, my mom with that. Oh man, that's that, right. Uh, that's my heart. Yep, the Nola, and I spent one year. I would argue very unsuccessfully, at Ohio Avenue Elementary. I was a fifth grade teacher. How did that work out for you? I probably was not the best teacher at that time. I wasn't very patient. Um, and I actually, Latrell, sought out some of those former kiddos when they would have been in eighth grade and legit um, apologized to them because I was a first-year teacher and just, you know, didn't really know all the things I needed to know yet. But I like to think that I got a lot better, and I do not feel the need to apologize to any of my science students. Once I hit middle school, it was a good fit. So, so. was it not as much... Was it easier being in the middle school? Yeah, age? Alex, middle school is just kind of my heart, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, elementary, I had multiple subjects all day long, multiple needs, and our elementary teachers, I really think, would connect with that. It's just hard to make sure you stay just as fresh for math as you do for reading, as you do for social studies, oh. as you do for science, as you do for tech. Yeah, so when I got to middle school, I had a new group of science kids every hour and a half, so right. I was just ready to be fresh and a bit more patient. Right. Um, and, you know, I was 23, so I didn't know any better. I was doing the best I could. <laughs> and you've been teaching for how many years? Uh, I taught for six years, and then I moved into the office. Andre, is there anything I can answer for you, sir? No, that'll be all. Well, um, I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad you guys are. I'm really happy you're learning this, though, because I think it's it's a possibility to keep going at it. This is a very cutting-edge class that Mr. Kelly was able literally to just put into the schedule and make happen. Which I think is wrong. I mean, I just walked in the first day, and he says, Andre! I'm like, huh? I'm right. doing what? Right. what? And I would, it looks like both of you have really enjoyed it. So to me, it's just interesting to see how did you, you know, how did you get a class, learn it, that's basically a response to student interest. just want to say something. Just like saying. When Mr. Kelly did tell me I was going to be working on a podcast interviewing people, I was like, ah, oh, man, you got me doing this all alone. So when the trail came the next one, I was like, ah, oh, that's, oh, that's a so blessing. Great. Exactly. So, yeah, you know. so we're talking about India. Some of the things we've talked about are the religion that's practiced in India, right? Yeah. And, we, yeah. and we learned it was Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, uh, Sikh, Sikhism is what they call it, Jainism. How is that similar to what we do in America? They got, we got a Christian entity culture and they got one. Do, do we practice uh, multiple religions here? Or is it just one? Multiple. Yeah, there's believe. multiple, right? What you believe. Yeah, multiple. Yeah, so you can... It's all what you believe. Right, yeah, so you can kind of go with what you believe, and it seems to be that way in India as well. The culture? 
What specifically about their culture did we want to learn about? The food. All right. Okay, the food. All right, so let's take a look at the food. So open up Internet Explorer and in Google type in what kind of food is eaten in India. And let's just see what comes up. Rice, wheat, pulses, vegetables, like ladyfingers, potatoes, cabbage, cauliflower, onions, tomato, and curry. Some of their dishes would include dosa, samosa, idli vada, I-D-L-Y-V-A-D-A. I probably am butchering the pronunciation on these. Dal sambar, butter chicken, chicken tikka marsala, or masala, rogan josh, tandoori chicken. Because people who practice is some forms of Islam do not eat pork. Maybe all, I don't know. So you're saying that, you're, that there's a lot of vegetarians, and if they do eat meat, it's mainly chicken, lamb, or goat. Yeah. Uh-huh, okay. What were some of the other questions that we had? What kind of government do they have? Was that one of them? Let's look that one up. Yeah. What kind of government do they Yeah, have? what kind of government does India have? We, we know the music is Indian music. Democratic. A parliamentary democratic republic where the president of India is the head of state and the prime minister of India is responsible for running the federal government. Okay? Is that different than, is that different than our government? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do we? Because we, we don't have a prime minister, do we? No. Well, but we do have a president. Yep. How about what languages are spoken in India? Alrighty. Oh, no, like, which which one did you find, Troy? Found a link that says Hindi. Yeah, Hindi is one of them. I found a link that says English. Okay, English would be another one. Which I did not know that. Troy is on a roll today. Hindi, English, and other, and 21 others. Yeah. Did anybody find Bengali? Bengali? Okay, and I think, Chantel, you you wanted to know about the geography of India, right? Is that correct? Yes. Geography. So, let's put that in our search box. Geography of India. 91% water. It's surrounded on three sides, right? Yeah by large bodies of water. Yeah. Has anybody heard the word peninsula before? No. Peninsula. Oh, There's a peninsula. Peninsula, yep. So if you're surrounded three sides, on three sides by water, you live on a peninsula. So this page has the geography broken down into lists of different items, and then within those lists, there are nested lists. You know, list within lists, right? All right. You move to a list by pressing what letter? L. L. And the next item, what's item start with? I. I. So if you press the letter um, I. I starts with image. All right. I you see A, A through E. The Indo Indogangetic Plain, the Peninsula Plateau, the Coastal Plains, Indian Desert. So they got a little bit of everything. This segment of the podcast, we will be visiting the canteen where they are selling muffins and carding cappuccinos in honor of Aiden Carter, who passed away a few months ago. And Alex will be talking to us more about that. So today we are doing a fundraiser and a raffle in honor of Aiden Carter. We are selling cappuccinos, hot chocolate, and muffins for 50 cents, and we're going to put all the money towards the Ohio State School Marching Band in honor of Aiden Carter. We're also, for the students who purchase these things, putting their names in a raffle to win some free pizza and other cool gift cards. Here we are, this is Andre and Mr. Kelly, and we are talking to the super IT man, Mr. John Linetti. Good morning. And he has been working on this new innovative cane called the Smart Cane. Can you tell us a little about that? 
Yes, a smart cane works by uh, emitting a wavelength that is going to hit the smart paint, which you guys now have down at the school. Mm -hmm. And when that wavelength hits that paint, it's converted to a different wavelength. And that wavelength is detected by the cane. And when the cane detects that wavelength, it makes a noise. And I can demonstrate that right now. I'll try to. So that's the noise of the smart cane detecting the smart paint. This is just a prototype, correct? This is a prototype right now, so yeah. So what are we expecting in the future from this cane? Well, we're expecting a different cane. We're expecting a version 3.0, and uh, that is going to be better designed to work with the smart paint that you have installed here at the school. Mm -hmm. And uh, it'll be lighter, uh, more ergonomic, uh, won't you know, weigh your wrist down quite as much, and um, it'll be uh, basically a faster, lighter cane. The, the connection between when the cane detects the red paint, or the, the, the smart paint, uh -huh and makes the noise. What, what are we getting from that information? So it's telling you that your cane has detected the smart paint sitting on the ground. And so if that is, that smart paint makes up the edges of the crosswalk, as your cane passes over the edge of the crosswalk, it'll make that noise or vibrate for you. And that tells you then, okay, I'm at the edge of the crosswalk. I need to make sure I don't go any further or I might end up out of traffic. Right. We're, that's what we have up here. We have the the uh, lines that go from one sidewalk to the other that are all smart paint. Mm -hmm. um, the, the stripes, the horizontal stripes are dumb paint. They're not smart. Okay. But the, the, the two stripes that go from one curb to the other, those are all smart paint. And so that's designed to make sure you guys stay inside those crosswalks and don't end okay. up on the wrong side. Okay, so the whole, the whole intersection there is, is The bright. whole intersection. The front of the school has it. The back of the school has it. It's all over. Yeah. We got some in your fire lanes, even. So we got lots of smart paint here. So can I ask, how expensive do you think this paint and this cane will be? The smart paint is going to cost maybe about twenty percent more than regular road paint, which is not going to break anybody's budget. Um, the smart cane, uh, the last time we talked about this, they were looking at it going for something like a hundred dollars, maybe. And ultimately, I mean, this is important. So ultimately, it wouldn't be a smart cane. It would be a couple of attachments that go onto your canes. Mm -hmm. And you guys, you know, you like your canes to the length that are just right for you. Right. So we're going to have attachments that sit on your canes and make them smart. Other applications for smart paint um, that you guys have explored here at the school? Well, yeah, so we're, what we're looking at is making the smart paint and the smart cane part of a wireless network. And so that means that when you're in Smart Columbus, and uh, it knows where you are based on the smart cane, then it can, uh, it can tell autonomous vehicles and other vehicles in the area that you, know, you guys are there in the crosswalk and you need to be extra careful and make sure that you don't go in the crosswalk at the wrong time. Yeah. What we're trying to do is have paint in the crosswalks, smart paint in the crosswalks, but we're also interested in having paint that sits on the sidewalk and when you get to that particular stripe of paint on the sidewalk, it says you are at the bookstore or you are at the record store. And, and you're going to tie into the uh, Bluetooth beacon project that they're talking about as well? Yeah, that's something that we're looking at. There's no reason why the cane and the Bluetooth beacon can't communicate. Right. And I, I know that one of the issues, I, I went to a, a, a meeting in uh, Washington, D.C. recently, and I learned that one of the issues is that you, you want to be able to go to the Bluetooth beacon and have it activate the, the crosswalk. Yeah. Um, and so what, can, what could occur is that the cane communicates with the Bluetooth beacon, so you don't have to press any buttons. You don't have to find the darn thing. Yeah. It just it automatically informs the Bluetooth beacon that you're there, and then it can activate the crosswalk. Yeah. That, yep, that is huge. I think another good application for those two are bus stops. Yes, that's one of the ones that came up, right. Good. Oh, yeah, good, and, you know, finding out that you are at the bus stop, and then ultimately... Uh, we'd like to have an app on your smartphone, which you guys are really good at, I can see. Um, and it, it would then communicate with your smartphone and it says, you are at the number nine bus stop and bus number 15 will be here in 15 minutes. Okay. It'll, it'll just tell you that yeah. you, uh, using your smartphone. Yeah. This is some great tools that really will increase a lot of people's independence, I think. Yeah, that's what we're all about. Do you know um, if other schools for the blind across the country are exploring programs like this? Not that I'm aware of. I, I, I know that as far as smart paint, you guys are the only one for sure. Wow. wow. <laughs>
That's great. That doesn't make us feel special. <laughs> make you a proud panther today. <laughs> so, well, that is wonderful. Yeah. Well, we're happy to um, be a part of uh, the things that are going on here at the school. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you, guys. We hope you guys really enjoyed this month's podcast. Thank you once again for spending an hour with us. Till next time. This month's music was brought to you by Mr. Kelly, Zach, and some of the students here at OSSB using GarageBand. That's a fun program. It is. We would like to thank everyone who lent their talents, voices, and skills to this month's podcast. It would not be, could not be. <laughs> what it is. Without you. The trail is speechless over here. Yeah. <laughs> Godsmacked. Beard headlights. <laughs> oh, no. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared, Jay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, fellas. Thank you guys. It's been a successful, wonderful podcast. See you guys in May.